Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hi, this is Virginia. Events over recent years have highlighted racial inequalities across the globe, and Australia is not an exception. Here at Broad Talk, we recognise that the path towards true reconciliation is the responsibility of all of us, all the time. In that spirit, we acknowledge the traditional owners of the country on which we record this podcast, the Ngunnawal and Ngambri people, and pay our respects to the Elders past, present and emerging. How can women remain optimistic in the face of pervasive gender inequality, violence and disrespect? And how do you battle political forces that keep knocking women down? Well, if you're Wendy McCarthy, you just keep going. by definition, is the belief that men and women should have equal rights and opportunities. Feminism is about equality, isn't it? It's about men and women having the same opportunities in life. If that does not suit you, then get out. You know, there's been a lot of talk recently about whether our country is ready for women leaders. It takes courage and strength to be empathetic. Smashing the glass ceiling yet again! Not now, not ever. I moved on her like a bitch. I just don't think there's a place for sexism in our politics. Nobody respects women more than Donald Trump. This has to stop. Hello and welcome to Broad Talk. I'm Virginia Hausiger. And I'm delighted to have you join me for this episode of Broad Talk as we near the end of this series on gender equality. Are we there yet? Today I want you to meet an exceptional icon of Australian feminism, Wendy McCarthy AO. Her name has been synonymous with feminist policy and political activism for, well, as long as I can remember. These days, Wendy is perhaps most fated for her mentorship of hundreds, if not thousands, of women executives, business leaders, political aspirants and MPs. She has sat on literally dozens of corporate and not-for-profit boards and chaired many of them with national and global leadership roles in health, 
heritage, conservation, arts, aid and development, family planning and abortion rights, media, even Australia's beloved Circus Oz. Wendy was Deputy Chair of the ABC for eight years and Chancellor of the University of Canberra for 10. There are a few sectors Wendy McCarthy hasn't involved herself in. But this indefatigable woman, who is about to turn 80 years old, shows absolutely no sign of slowing down. Whilst fated in the business world, Wendy is beloved in the women's movement. Feisty, fierce and unflappable. She's always been an incredible warrior for women's rights. Along with her bestie, Quentin Bryce, Wendy was appointed to the all-powerful National Women's Advisory Council set up in the late 1970s. And with half a century of feminist activism under her belt, she has never stopped fighting the good fight. I've got to be honest with you, I've always been in awe of Wendy McCarthy, her work, her energy and her spirited sense of fun. In March this year, I spotted Wendy at the March for Justice rally outside Parliament House, and we had what I can only describe as a moment, one that I'll never forget. Wendy, I want to go straight to the March for Justice because you had uh, travelled to Canberra from Sydney to, to join the rally in Canberra. And um, I just want to share with those listening that really special moment that you and I had when I saw you. Um, we were right at the uh, front of the stage and this was just before the rally started and I had just got off the radio from doing a, an, a, an ABC radio interview and I saw you there and kind of went rushing towards you and the band started playing I Am Woman. Hear me roll. Helen Reddy's fabulous anthem. And we started dancing. Tell us, tell us I know. how you felt at that time. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. And all I wanted was for all those other women to get up. So we're dancing and I'm, we started clapping and ourselves really and then turning around and putting signs to the other women to say, come on, up, up, up. And suddenly there were women dancing. It was like the Lord of, you know, the, the Waltz of the Flowers. Suddenly the water came and the flowers it all was bloomed. Beautiful. It, was, it, was, it was a really exquisite moment. Wasn't it extraordinary? One of my colleagues was standing at the side from the University of Canberra and she, she filmed it. And I, I must admit the day was such a huge day I'd forgotten about it. And she sent me the little video the next morning and uh, I was so <laughs> delighted when I saw it. In fact, I'll put it up on our Broad Talk Facebook um, for those who want to listen, uh, who want to see it. But uh, when she sent it to me, it just came, it brought back that flood of emotion at that moment it was extraordinary we, we were both yeah. seemed so happy is is that well, kind we of were. happiness well we were yeah but well we were but i i was just going to say is that what you expected because i didn't I, I i think i i was feeling quite anxious as i walked towards the rally i was feeling anxious about the numbers i was feeling anxious about the mood um i was feeling anxious about to be honest about potentially things getting out of control. Um, how, did you approach it with, with, with that great optimism that you just let explode at that moment of dancing or how did you feel in the lead up to yes, it? Yes, I did. I did. Because I, I flew into Canberra um, thinking to myself, I haven't been on a plane since 2019 <laughs> in November 
and well, this is scary. And I got there and I was marginally concerned about who'd turn up, but I just had that feeling that people were going to come. So I felt really optimistic. When I got there, which was quite early, there weren't quite enough people to my liking, but then I could see them stream in. Mm. And it reminded me when I was responsible for the Bicentennial Tall Ships program and being being in that hotel on the quay and saying to my husband, what if nobody comes? And he said, they'll come. <laughs> and about four o'clock in the morning, I could mm. hear flip-flop, flip-flop. It's Australians with their eskies getting the best seat for the tall ships. And, of course, there were <laughs> two million people there. And I had that feeling that they were going to come. And they came with joy, even though they were angry as can be with the government, but they came determined to show I don't know, I think, you know, such a crummy phrase, our best selves, that we were capable of happiness and purpose Mm. and passion and we weren't going to let an aggravating, Mm. petulant government get in our way. We were going to have a good time while we delivered the message and that's what we did. I mean, the girl bands were fabulous to start with. Yeah, exactly. And they were really pounding out the sound. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, my anxiety, I guess, was well, a little bit like you was about the numbers. Are they going to come? And I was actually doing a radio interview as I walked down towards the rally and they were saying to me, or the, the interviewer was saying, how many people are there? And I, I couldn't see a lot and my heart was sort of pounding. But what I did see were buses and placards. Yes. And, and I don't know, I, I guess as a young journalist, Decades ago, I, I spent a lot of time covering BFL marches in Melbourne where things occasionally would get out of hand and I just had that moment of anxiety about what yeah. if it all goes wrong. Yeah. I, you know, yeah. I was really anxious. Yeah. That's why when I saw you smiling and, and just looking so joyous, I don't know, it was kind of like, oh, it was just relief, I think. For me, there was a joyous reunion of so many women I'd known over so many years. Women, you know, I'd met one woman who'd driven from Kempsey. And wow. just, just to come to March, she could have gone to Sydney, but she said I wasn't going to miss Canberra. And there was a, we, I could have had the annual family planning reunion there. There were so many women from family <laughs> planning I hadn't seen for ages. So there were all these people in my life, um, in my various lives in Canberra, they were all c- kind of coming from all over the place. And I thought if they're all making the effort, there must be hundreds of other people making the same effort. And there were. Around the country, yeah. absolutely, yeah. in over 40 locations. Mm. Wendy, why do you think people came, not just to, to ours in Canberra but to, to all of those locations around the nation? I seriously think people attended because they just had that phrase in their guts, enough is enough. Don't push us any further. Don't marginalise us as women. Don't treat us with disrespect. Don't trivialise us and call us Brittany or Wendy or Virginia or somewhere in Parliament and refer to the Honourable Member for so-and-so. I think it was just something that was in the pulse of women and had been. I, I think the other thing that is seriously affecting how women feel are the domestic violence deaths. You know, it's just impossible to believe that we live in a democracy 
with theoretically all the cornerstones of power in their appropriate place, executive, judiciary, legislative, and one woman a week is dying from domestic violence. And if they put another set of academics in to work out the solutions, I will personally go (laughs) mad. The police are responsible. Fix it. Mm. The legislature Mm. and the judiciary are responsible for this and they have to do something about it. And I think there was that sense someone's called us, Janine has set this up, someone we don't know, and that's fantastic that someone we don't know has seen this, so it's not just us. And you know what? Attending there were not just us. Whoever us is, we all know our own us's, but there were people there who weren't us, and that was what was so extraordinarily exhilarating. I I couldn't agree more. And uh, among the speakers, I've been... um working at collating some of the speeches from around the country just to get a sense of the diversity of voice. Um, when you say they weren't us, there, there were dozens and dozens and dozens of speakers with really powerful messages, all of whom I'd never heard of before. Yeah. So it was such a diverse group, and particularly in the, at the Canberra rally too. Um, Wendy, why now? Why at this point in 2021 or in the 21st century? Because you and I know that the messages have been said over and over forever. So what brought it all together, all to a head now? I think there are a couple of things, Virginia. I think one is we have an age cohort like mine, late 70s, still active and engaged. I didn't have that growing up. So we have a few, you know, Mari is 10 years older than me and I'm 10 years older than someone else. And we have aunties, grandmothers, elders to encourage us. And we have very active young women who aren't going to hack being told to nick off, whether they're First Nations, cis, intersectional. They're not going to accept the written story according to Scott. The Bible, according to Scott, does not exist for them. They think it's phony. They dislike it. It discriminates against them. And I think there was a huge coalescence of age groups. That was the most remarkable physical observation to meet immediately. And the next part of that is we use different language, but we're working on the same purpose. So enough is enough. Um, Don't mess with me. They're things that we can all agree to. And in a sense, we didn't have to spell do policy detail. We just had to say, respect us, listen to us. We're here to tell you how we want stuff done. And that hasn't gone away since the march. I know of, you know, 40 little groups working together, you know, forming their own, telling their own stories in order to make the government listen. And it wasn't a march that I saw necessarily divided on party political grounds. I thought it was a really interesting across-the-board group of women for whom the the women's narrative was more important than either political narratives. And if if I was belonging to a political tribe, I'd be really worried about that because they're not hearing us. Neither of those is hearing us and we're not listening to them. So women are going to take, I think, a much stronger leadership role 
and I'll be fascinating to see how that is manifest. Can I just just clarify there? Do you are you suggesting that that neither of the main political parties are hearing this properly, hearing the message properly? I think until the march, I think they were shocked, and I think they're listening more carefully as a result of the march. But until then, we'd been white noise, and we mm. and we were using the same slogans and so on, and they they could never have predicted that it would just be an organic uprising over 40 centres across Australia and you'd have to be very anxious. And since then, I think, you know, the, the, well, the papers today are full of stories about promises. But, you know, unless promises have got some time frames and some clear policies and so on, why would we believe them? And they're going to have to find a long way back to get credibility. You mentioned the the... The Bible according to Scott, referring, of course, to Australia's Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, um, he did say in Parliament whilst we were rallying outside that uh, in, in nations not too far away from us, uh, a protest like this would be met with bullets. Yeah, we'd have got a bullet. Yeah. What did you make of that? Well, that would be about the most tone-deaf ex- phrase I've heard for some time. And the idea, you know, I thought there was even a bit of a wistfulness about it. You know, what a pity that noisy lot out there wouldn't get a bullet. And aren't you lucky, girls, that you didn't? Well, that is so disrespectful. Such a shocking thing to say. And you can harumph all you like that you didn't mean it like that, but actually he did. That he was saying we were lucky to be living under his government without being attacked and assaulted for demonstrating. Oh, fundamental pro- proposition of democracy. Yeah, it shows a very different mindset, doesn't it? Mm. An extremely different mm. mindset. I don't I'm ever remember being threatened like that in marches that I've attended. I mean, even in America on a Vietnam march or in, in Australian marches, I don't ever remember being really f- feeling threatened in that sort of way. I thought that was... It won the cake for the doozy statement of the day. <laughs> Possibly the doozy statement of the year, if not of, of the parliamentary of term. It's it, Yeah, it's extraordinary. Wendy, I want to move away from the march, but just before I do, you mentioned you're aware of 40 groups or so, gra- grassroots roots groups of women doing various things post the march. How important do you think it is for there to be another big national event or march or display of, of force or power or whatever it is? Because I know I'm, I'm hearing from the cynics here in Canberra, um, a political cynics might I add, that, oh, you know, it all amounted to nothing. Nothing's happened. Um, now they're choosing to see it that way. But do you think there needs to be another big event? I don't think you have to do a repeat of the march. I think there are other strategic ways to influence change. Um, this, I think, will be quite a big week. Um, this morning we've already had the Business Council come out about parental leave and early learning and childcare. Tomorrow we'll hear Michelle O'Neill speak at the National Press Club about whatever the ACTU wants to think about these matters. And, and in the lead-up to the budget, of course, yes, and we're, yes. uh, we're just a, you know, a short time away from the budget, um, we're going to be hearing more and more, yes. there's no doubt about it. But, but do you think there needs to be some sort of public display, some sort of event, some sort of um, you know, show of force? I think we should let the words and the, um, and the budget 
piece, see what happens for the next couple of weeks. It takes a lot of energy and some money to get a big march like that together. I think we should be able to rely on proper process to get a a response. And then I think we might have to think of something else. I don't know what that is yet, but I'm sure most of us can work out. You know, there are lots of ways to do things. I always think there was a a wonderful program in, in the US where people stood outside post offices and at a certain time of the day. There are all sorts of clever ways we can show support or disagreement with whatever comes in the budget. I think the most important thing to achieve in the next three weeks is to make sure that we are no longer kept outside the budget. The budget tells us where we fit as women. Gloria Steinem famously said, it's not until you look at the budget that you know what people think of women as a species. And that's right. We need our budget. We need to have a budget statement about women. And for all those boys who want to talk about men, well, they can ask for their own statement too, and then we might have a joint one. But at the moment, (laughs) we need to know how women's lives are impacted by the statement. There is a gender lens that is absolutely essential to be put over it because we are not getting what we want and we work and we pay taxes and we're living longer. We're the most homeless, Um, you know, the face of poverty is a 50-year-old woman who hasn't got much super and hasn't got a home anymore. How can that be in this country? We're one of the richest in the world. I, I know. It's, it, it's extraordinary um, when you think about it. We have been, or many of us have been, talking about gender-responsive budgeting uh, and, a, and, and a women's impact statement or more than women's impact statement, but, but really what we want to see is every policy put before Cabinet put mm. under a gender lens, as they now do in Canada and have been doing for quite some time. Well, as Liz Reid um, did with... when she became the, the, you know, the, 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 the chief woman, the head of the status of women. You know, that's what that was yeah. all about. And there were women before that who were doing it. It's not a new idea. No, no, it's not at all. But uh, we needs to be done it again. Yeah. Yes. And there seems to be a great resistance. Well, there is a great resistance. Just, I just want to move on to a global perspective. And you mentioned Gloria Steinem, and I know you've you've held a number of um, global roles in addition to your myriad roles in Australia. But we seem to be, or well, I sense that they're similar to what is happening in Australia at the moment. We're seeing elsewhere. We're seeing in the UK recently also big marches, well-attended marches, and it's the same message around women and violence and respect. Um, very similar uh, messages coming across. Do you, is this the zeitgeist or is, 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 it, is it just coincidental that the same kind of rallies that we've just seen in Australia are being held in, in places like the UK? Oh, I think the it's the zeitgeist. I think, I mean, you look at Poland, the marches in Poland have been profound. Um, Absolutely. Russia, um, Mexico, Mexico, um, Brazil, uh, and and you think there is there's a cohort of women in the world who you know have been dangerously educated. You know, it's like that tea towel. You know, I was doing well. They were, we were all doing well until we taught the girls to read. And well, the girls are reading and adding up, and they don't like what they see. And most of all. It, the violence is the most, I mean, 
the violence is contagious too because as an old as a younger woman I was told to be careful when I went out at night as an older woman now I'm told the statistics say that they love to see old people love to see older women you know walking in the dark with a large handbag because they know the sorts of things they carry in their handbags their cards and their money and so on and those things are barely reported but they're happening and older women are robbed in their houses, many of them living alone. So I think we're seeing a world phenomenon in the in, in the democracies of the world and the poorer areas, this is, you know, par for the course. And I think we've always connected with other women in the world. That's what those amazing Beijing conferences and so on did so that we traded notes and experiences and said that's what we need to do to solve it. And I suspect we need to go back to some of those that we're sharing. I mean, social media helps, but not quite the same. Wendy, I want to move on to talking about your own life um, and the extraordinary number of things you've done and what you've done. Um, We're going to take a short break, and in that time you might want to talk to your little puppy dog, Daisy, who I can hear barking in the background. We'll be back in just a moment. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome back. Wendy, I just want to shift gears a little bit now, and we've been talking very broadly uh, about the March for Justice and the status of women, but I want to come back to your own life. You you were and you became very prominent, I think, back in the 80s, when I was a young journalist, actually, when you were doing a lot of work around uh, education, family planning, and uh, rose to prominence very quickly given the huge number of boards and advisory councils that you were on, etc. Looking back from where you sit now, and I know you're still very, very active, um, do, do you feel optimistic that the huge amount of effort Australian women have put in to create policy change and real shift do you feel optimistic that it's it's worked? All that work that you Absolutely, and your I do. cohort did has worked? No, but, you know, Gertrude Stein always said that when she got there, she wondered where there was, <laughs> and I think we have to remember that. I think we're there in many ways. 
if you look at the shopping list we had around childcare, equal pay, um, education of women and girls, family planning, contraception, abortion, etc., we are a long way down the track and a lot, lot better off than we were in the 70s when we were marching. So abortion in most of Australia was on the criminal code. Um, so doctors yeah, and but patients. Until recently. Yes. Yeah, well, that's until right. Until recently only, in New South Wales and you were still out there fighting that's for That's right. It. Well, you know, I ran the pro, led the pro-choice campaign. I didn't run it but I led it. And, and I think that and Victoria, Queensland had done it the year before so it's relatively recent. But what I think what's interesting is that over that 50 years that I worked in abortion law reform, we kept a watching brief. So we were a lot, lot better off and we, in some ways, we're better off than the Americans who got Roe v. Wade up because it doesn't deal with individual states in the same way as we did. And Ruth Bader Ginsburg was very fond of saying that it was never easy for it to be a blanket thing and and it's always vulnerable to challenge, which, of course, we see. So I think that... You know, we've come a long way there. We've come a long way in the kind of contraception that is available to us. We've come a long way in the the terms of health services that we require to be healthy in terms of um, reproductive rights. But, and we've we've certainly made a big charge, you know, breakthrough on breast cancer. You know, we're much, much, people are much more likely to survive now with breast cancer. So, in the, but, but it's in the education of women and girls that we have excelled. I mean, within about 10 years and, and the Whitlam breakthrough and a lot to do with the work of Susan Ryan, we had girls staying on at school. Mm. We had women coming based on prior experience getting access to university. So I think in the first 10 years or 15 years, we made an enormous difference. We had affirmative action agencies, sex discrimination legislation, we had what Ruth Bader Ginsburg said at a little thing I went to when she was speaking with Sonia Sotomayor. We had the protection of the law to draw attention and to challenge things that happened to us way ahead of many countries. So all of those things are better. I think if in the fundamentals, the right, uh, the earning capacity of women, the equal pay debate has not been very successful. As Mary Gordon famously said, you know, if we won equal pay three times, then we still don't have it. But yeah. the strangely, in some careers, but particularly women-focused ones like nursing, where men joined, men fairly quickly got a lot of the rates up. It's still not well enough mm. paid. The early learning um, and group, they, they, uh, people who work in early learning education, they are very poorly paid. So women-centred groups are not, but still we do and I think the big move of this century has been women into the commercial world as opposed to government. So we did really well with government for the first last 20 years of last century, you know, and... Uh, oh, can I just told you there, though, but, but, but just, just bit when you say that, we did really well in government, not in leadership. Not in leadership positions, certainly more and more women working in government positions and certainly across the public sector, but not in leadership. But that was a dream for most women. And we were taking on men who'd been settled in those positions for years. And we did have leadership. 
you know, Anne Summers led government departments. There were a lot of women leading government departments. Helen Williamson, the first woman to, I think, to lead a government department. So women join. But we still have women in a minority when it comes to public leadership and political leadership. Oh. We know, we, you know, political leadership, we know we're near half and half, 50-50. We are not in a 50-50 world. No, not anywhere. But we are a long way away from where we were when we started this wave of feminism in the early 70s. So I think we underestimated two things, that one was the the rise of the religious right and never in my wildest fantasies would I have thought in our country that we would have serious issues around religious discrimination and religious leadership and exemptions on, you know, and opportunities. The Labor Party gave in to exemptions on discrimination legislation in schools and places. They were tax exempt. And then the the rise of the right. I mean, we didn't see that in our crystal ball. And we were the ones who lost the most on that. And I think that's a lot to do with the violence against women. I think there is a causal connection. Is it possible that that rise of fundamentalism that we are seeing everywhere is going to increase a backlash against women's progress? Oh, well, I think it already has. I think it's been very, you know, I think it's been here for a decade and and I think it's intimidated many women. It can only be difficult to be a woman married to someone who converts to the religious right or um, to be able to be her own person in the way that you and I might want to be. And I think and, and I and I think many of the women then join that. And I think I think freedom for women and equality is also quite scary for people who don't feel that they're really part of it and they're not sure what it means. And we haven't had public education campaigns. I mean, you don't change ideology quickly. The churches are running the public ideology campaigns now, not government. It's like anti-smoking, you know, as soon as you only have two weapons to stop people smoking. One is public health campaigns and the other one's a budget. Just make it more and more expensive. We don't have any of those campaigns Mm. anymore. We don't have campaigns about women's equality. We don't have campaigns about women's health in the way that we used to because we've with the rise of the right, we've also had the rise of the individual. You know, the world is now about me, not not we. And I still think we. Well, I do too. But that, that in itself presents a real problem, doesn't it? For, of course. For women's progress and I think for feminism also, uh, I sense a, a confusion between the feminism that is about self-empowerment, self, dare I say it, uh, grandstanding and uh, without a focus on the we, um, but it's all about the me, but I'm entitled to because I'm an empowered young woman, I can do what I like sort of thing, as against focusing on the we and, and bringing everyone with you. Um, two different things. But-, but sorry, they're only aping what men do. That sort of feminism is thinks they confuse equality to sameness. You know, you're not, you don't need to be equal to a man. That you need to have equal rights. All of citizens need equal rights. Trying to be like a man is a very limited aspiration. We just don't need to do that. And when, the women who do, and they are most noticeable, I suppose, we see them more in business 
where they've been, they've allowed themselves to be terrified to think that, that if they don't have the male sponsor, they won't get the job. And quite frankly, many of them won't. But you don't have to be like that. And I think that's a lack of confidence and a lack of self. But it's also a fear of being a scary feminist or a scary woman's writer or whatever. Finding your own way is easy to say, but it's not that easy always to achieve. Which leads into something else I want to discuss with you. Um, you were on the board of um, the ABC as, as deputy chair for many years, eight years, I think, um, as deputy chair. The representation of women in the media is something that's always concerned me greatly, uh, and I've spoken about it all my life, but I, I, I feel we the representation of women is actually getting worse this is where we are going backwards. Do you mean in a, dem- in a demographic sense? No, no. I, I mean the, the in the way, way re- the way they are looked at. The, yeah. yep. Yes, the way the media, particularly news media, is representing women. Now, I know we've done some really good work, the ABC in particular has done some amazingly good work in bringing more women into the public voice, the public space, and identified more women as talent, um, you know, experts, spokespeople, et cetera, and, and congratulations to the ABC for doing that. But I'm talking about in the way mainstream media view women and represents women. I'm shocked at some of the things I see, which we would not have got away with in the 80s no, no. or even the 90s. We just wouldn't have. Well, I think that goes hand in hand with the need for many young women to represent themselves in particular ways and thinking that's that's freedom and being their own person. So if I want to, you know, appear without my clothes on or without my top on and take a selfie and send it to someone, that means guess what, I can do what I like, it's on my terms. But, of course, it never is and most of it ends in tears. And I think that gives other people the chance to, other media, the chance to demonise and misrepresent much of what's happening. A lot of it, I mean, I I find a really shocking statistic is that most 10-year-olds have seen some porn. That, That just about brings me to incandescent rage. Why? Does that have to happen? And there's no easy answer. And it's it's not about freedom. It's actually about bondage. And that, that upsets mm. me. So we are misrepresented often. But who do we say we want to be like, you know? Um, we're still finding out some of those things. I mean, I, I do we want to go to jail for our sins Do we and for our leadership? I think most of all we want to be in Parliament dealing with an equal number of the other and working out the best way to live in our community and in our country. Mm. And and I think that you in, in a, go, go on. No, oh, sorry. Well, I was going to say in a way when you talk about the other, in a way I guess that the other, the other is so normalised that uh, it's not women trying to enter um, these spaces uh, in the way that men do, but actually in, in a way that, that is appropriate for them as women or See, it's inter- as non-binary people. But I think the other thing that's interesting is, you know, we ran campaigns in the 70s, women going into trades, and some women did and they did quite well. Now today in New South Wales they're putting up 3,000 um, apprenticeship spaces for women. 
and I think they think they're going to fill them very easily. That might be the time gap for women to grow up and think, yeah, I would like to be a carpenter. I would Mm. like to work with wood. I would like to work with earth or bricks or something. I don't think just because we say it, it means that we necessarily have people who want to do it. So in Mm. some ways, when you're opening up new opportunities, it's good to have people to already go there. That was why women going as mature age students to university work so well, because there were so many women who were so wistful, you know, especially those who'd served in the war, that when they came back, none of those courses that men did to, you know, speed them up into accelerate their development into university were open to women. And I mean, I know women who, who just wept at, at the lost opportunity, but they were ready to take up those places in university pronto. And I suspect there might be a very big move towards trades. You know, up and down my street, there's a woman who drives a station wagon called Women Tradies. People come out the street and say, oh, come over here. We need, we, we want women tradies. I'd rather a woman be working in my house than a man, they say to her. And I said, how's your business going? And she said, yeah, I yeah. think a lot of. And, and, yeah. and if, every time a barrier goes down and other people move into the vacuum, that's progress. You can't have it all, you yeah. know, it's not a very long yeah. time. And, and, I, and I think if you looked, if you thought well, about it as a budget, you'd say that we're well and truly in, um, in, the, in the black in terms of benefits of feminism in the last 50 years. It's, it's wonderful, Wendy, to hear you sound positive and, and, and even optimistic and to remark on progress that's been made. Um, before we finish up, though, and we're running out of time, but I want to ask you, because, again, the, the myriad things you have done and that you've been involved in and just about every every um, sector from, you know, education, as I said, to, to reproductive health, to human rights, to overseas aid. I mean, I, I think I first met you in person when you were running Plan International in Australia and then you had a global role as the Deputy Chair of, of Global Plan. Um, you've done just about everything. You've even run, uh, been Chair of the Circus, for goodness sake, Circus Oz. Yes. I mean, I don't I don't think there's any sector you haven't been involved in, but I, I, look, I, I kind of want to finish up on this, I suppose. But for someone who has had such a rich career, portfolio of, of as I say, extraordinary number of, of different um, things that you have done, you also came along at a time when Australia was ripe for change and you were at the forefront of forcing that change. From where you sit now in the, in the 2020, 21, 21, sorry, no, 2021, what has been the hardest aspect of what you've done? As in, and I don't mean logistically, but, but rather just for you personally, what, is, what has been the hardest part of, of being Wendy McCarthy, the change maker, the, 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 the women's leader uh, and, and mother and friend? What, what has been the hardest part? Well, I just... Sort of give you an answer in, in part. The first thing is I've had a rich career, but I'm not, I'm not rich from my career. Men who've done two-thirds of what I've done have earned millions of dollars. I never have. That's the first thing. I could have a very bad, angry look on my face, but long mm-hmm. ago, Gordon, my husband, and I worked out that he was in the private sector. I worked where I did in education and public sector, and between us, we had enough. So I was probably not a good advocate for working on how to get money because I hated asking for myself, but I'm very good at getting money for other people. 
So I wasn't rich in that way, mm-hmm. and I think that smarter women than me will work that out. I think the hardest thing in my life um, at a personal level was losing my husband. Everyone's husband has to die, I know, or, you know, we all die, but uh, he was such a companion and friend and mate and always had my back. And, you know, to be married for 52 years happily, it's quite a good habit and suddenly it's not there. And so the last three years have been quite confronting why as I find my, uh, you know, different spaces to work in. I suppose the other thing that has been confronting, not so much. I mean, I'm a person who always stares people down in a crisis and discloses what I want to disclose so that I'd rather do it to myself than have someone do it to me. So there aren't too many secrets in my life whereas some of my best friends are much more closed and secretive than I am, and that's not pejorative, it's just the way they are, I would rather put it out there and do that. And I think the hardest thing in my life currently is losing friends because I'm in the age group where people die. And that's, you know, losing Susan, Carla, my sister-in-law, you know, they're new things to live with. But I don't want to lose my opportunity and I don't want to lose the sense that just because I'm nearly 80, I can't do stuff. I want to keep being active and I want to keep working on the world, being a better place for women. And I've got nothing to lose. I can do this now. I mean, not that I ever thought I hadn't, but I don't have dependents who say, don't do that, don't do that. They go, go mum. And the best thing is being a grandmother. (laughs) Go mum. Oh, yes, that's, of course, that's beautiful. I just want to uh, finish by asking you, do you fear ageing? No, 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 I don't. I think I'm lucky. You know, July I'm going to be 80 and I think how lucky can I be that I'm going to live to 80? And then I'll think, uh, (laughs) well, I hope I live to 80, but there are no guarantees. Look, when I was 16, I went to university when I was 16 and and they put about three weeks into university, they said, oh, freshers should come and hear this bishop speak. I was, I was quite, quite a good churchgoer then, and I thought it was an Anglican bishop. Anyway, he said, and he was going to talk about sex. So, of course, we all went like lemmings. He didn't talk about <laughs> sex. He talked about managing life, and he said, I just think, you know, think about every 24 hours as a unit. Play eight, work eight, and sleep eight. And I've pretty well lived that life. I, was, I thought that was so neat. Yeah. And if I'm out, you know, in deficit in one area, I catch up. And so when my husband got leukaemia, which is actually the hardest thing ever happened, I, we sort of said the only way we can manage this is we live, take every day as it comes and we have the best possible fun we can have for the day. And that was 34 years ago. And I guess we followed that in the family too. We've said if you get if you got leukemia in 1981, like Gordon, there was very little you could do except hope and take chemotherapy. And when he died, he died as Australia's longest living bone marrow recipient. And a lot of it, a lot of his you know colleagues who got it, they died. But I think you know 
I'm not scared of dying and I'm um, taking every day as it comes. I absolutely love that, to have the best fun that you can every day. I think that's a, a beautiful way to put it. And, Wendy, we're looking forward to the release of your book, your uh, the second Second memoir. Uh, part of your memoirs, yeah. Um, hopefully early next year. International Women's uh, Day next year, Jane Porfreyman assures me, will be on the shelves. Perfect. Yes. Perfect. Well, I, I, I read Don't Fence Me in your first memoir almost in one sitting. Um, I, I couldn't put it down. I was just so fascinated by it and I can't wait to read the second instalment. <laughs> well, my daughter's the only person apart from the editors who's read the second one and she says it's better than the first, so here's hoping. Wow. <laughs> I can't wait. I could go on talking forever, but I'm going to have to let you go. But thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you. Gosh, if I had half Wendy's energy and joy de vie at the age of 80, I'd be pretty jolly happy. What a fabulous example she is of a life well lived, not a moment wasted and rich in experiences and challenges. As I said earlier in that discussion, I'll post that short little video of Wendy and I dancing to I Am Woman on our Broad Talk Facebook page. And you can always find some interesting material there, so please do drop in. Or better still, join our growing Broad Talk chat community by clicking on Join the Group tab, and Martin or I will fling open the virtual doors and let you in. The group's called the Broad Talk Roundtable, and dearest listener, there's always a seat at the table for you. My thanks as always to my WBPP, world's best podcast producer, Martin Pierce. My voice would never reach your ears if it wasn't for him and his calm, professional patience. And my thanks to you for spending this time with me. I really do appreciate it. So until next time, happy chatting. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.